Since the beginning of the pandemic, the American Medical Association has led the fight against COVID-19. As the nation copes with the effects of the crisis, we continue to offer tireless advocacy and expert resources. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. This episode is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 update. Today, we're discussing prioritizing mental health for physicians and patients as we enter the winter months of the pandemic. I'm joined today by Dr. Patrice Harris, AMA's immediate past president, as well as a psychiatrist and former county health director in Atlanta. Dr. Jeffrey A. Lieberman, chair Department of Psychiatry, Columbia University, Vagelos College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York, and Dr. Anna Ratzliff, Director of the UW Psychiatry Residency Training Program, Co-Director of the Ames Center, and Director of the UW Integrated Care Training Program in Seattle. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. And Dr. Harris, we've been told by public health experts that the next few months could be some of the most challenging of the pandemic. Uh, what What impact will this have on physicians' mental health? Well, Todd, I think it's important to know that we came into this pandemic seeing increased levels of burnout and issues around mental health and wellness among the physician community. So certainly this pandemic is just exacerbated those issues. And by the way, certainly for those of our colleagues who are on the front lines, uh, but also those who are treating uh, patients in outpatient settings, I can't tell you the number of emails I've received from my colleagues, actually a couple of those who are treating patients who have substance use disorder, who also talk about these issues. So it's important that we talk about these issues, but more importantly, talk about how to support our colleagues through this pandemic and actually as we get on the other side of the acute phase of this pandemic. I mean, it's been pretty grueling. And uh, for some physicians, uh, there really has been little break between the initial pandemic onset and uh, this recent fall surge. Is that kind of a double whammy for physicians, Dr. Harris? It is a double whammy. You hear so many of our colleagues talking about the fact that uh, this pandemic has been unrelenting, uh, no opportunity to take a break, uh, but also working around these issues with increased financial stress worry about uh, our own health, right? Remember early on, we were seeing physicians who were updating their wills um, and also raising the issues around not having adequate equipment, adequate PPE. Uh, So we, again, are just seeing assault after assault. And by the way, let me also say, uh, even being accused of inflating the numbers of COVID-19 for our own personal gain, that was uh, really infuriating. But all of these issues are just adding uh, to feelings of stress uh, among physicians. Yeah, that is a very difficult thing to, to really take. Um, I want to talk a little bit about a minute uh, or take a minute, Dr. Harris, about something you mentioned, which is about physicians who aren't necessarily on the front lines but are still experiencing burnout at record levels. A New York Times article recently reported that doctors' offices are shutting down uh, due to the stress of the pandemic. Uh, what are your thoughts on this and what can we do about it? Dr. Lieberman, do you want to start there? Well, I think that um, 
the practice of medicine in recent decades has really evolved from something that uh, motivated, most people were motivated to sort of go into as a career into something that has become much more bureaucratic, much more doing too many things that were not related to patient care and research and the kinds of things that uh, physicians are more inclined towards. And then the COVID pandemic just was, you know, as close to the worst nightmare scenario as you could expect because um, not only were we dealing with the you know usual process of having to administer health care in uh, let's say kind of a dysfunctional uh, policy and financial environment, but we had this you know added burden of a pandemic which pushed people almost to the breaking point. In fact, unfortunately, in my own institution, we had a wonderfully uh, a talented and highly respected emergency room physician uh, take her life as a result of um, the stress that she was under. And, um, you know, so the, the combination of the way the profession has evolved as a result of what's happened in the policy and financing arena combined with the added burden has made it very difficult. But then physicians are tough people who are used to discipline and deprivation, but at the same time, everybody has their breaking point. And the one thing I think we've learned is that um, the need for support, not just usual human resources, but ongoing professional support, stress management is really essential. And uh, all the more so because even though psychiatrists, in particular, weren't on the front lines in the ICU or the emergency rooms, we were deployed into those in various capacities. And I won't take this as an insult, but the first choice of the uh, hospital was to take our trainees who were closer to their medical training, which I'm sure Anna knows something about also. Yes, would you like to speak about that in terms of uh, the training and the pressure there as well? Yes, I think it's been really challenging for our trainees as well. I mean, I think I'm in the middle of my career, you know, a year where things are really stressful is hard. But um, for someone who is in the middle of their third year of medical school and had to spend five months sitting at home instead of learning those core patient skills and being out in the you know clinics where they had been looking forward to that, or our trainees who you know really had their training disrupted as they we were trying to quickly figure out and mobilize how to continue to have that training experiences be available um, to them. I think that it's really impactful. I think and, and it. It adds extra stress. I think um, residents and medical students are under a lot of pressure. It's um, it's hard to be learning and taking care of patients at the same time. And um, this added stress of often having extra family obligations or being worried about your family has definitely been something that I've seen um, take its toll. And we've really had to think about how to come together as a community and support each other and find ways of staying connected even when we're supposed to stay socially distant, um, it's it's a real tension between those two things, you know, because I do think peer support is such an important part of um, resiliency, which I think we all need to um, build capacity for right now. I mean, resiliency is something that we can build capacity for, um, and thinking about how do we do that has been something I've thought about a lot as a program director um, for our psychiatry residents. As difficult and as uh, really challenging as it's been, the healthcare profession has risen to the occasion uh, 
uh, incredibly uh, well. And it's really um, something to be proud of and to really marvel at. Um, I think one of the things that uh, many of us, particularly those of us who are in administrative roles that have to make budgets and so forth, is that we don't see, in addition to having to deal with the stresses of patient care and the vicissitudes of the uh, infection rates in the pandemic, um, we also know that there's going to be a financial second shoot up at some point. And we haven't seen a rescue package for the hospitals or for the medical schools. And then we also have a public that isn't necessarily doing their part because of the fact that there is this confusion that's being sown as to uh, what the reality is of the virus and what needs to be done to uh, prevent the contagion and uh, really wait until the uh, vaccines arrive to be able to really wrestle this thing to the ground. Well, we know the pandemic is also affecting patients. In fact, uh, a lot of, uh, in the news, some pretty heartbreaking uh, stories about uh, what kind of stress people are under right now. Uh, Dr. Lieberman, you know, should physicians expect to see an increase in mental health issues over the next few months? And, you know, what are the factors? Uh, obviously, I think some of them are evident, but, you know, they should be watching for. Unquestionably that the uh, aftermath of the pandemic which with the vaccines, you know, uh, in the offing uh, can be sort of foreseen. Um, the uh, sequelae that will be predominant will be those of a mental health psychiatric nature. And um, we can predict this with some degree of quantitative accuracy based on uh, data from disaster psychiatry studies of past events. Um, but the past events have largely been geographically or temporally limited, you know, uh, Hurricane Sandy, uh, an earthquake or tsunami, 9-11. Uh, um, but this is global and this is sustained and this produces not just a physical uh, hardship, but also economic and social disruption. So uh, we can predict what uh, uh, disorders are going to have significant increases, and they're in the order of mood disorders, anxiety disorders, phobic disorders, obsessional disorders, substance abuse, um, complications of these things like suicide, uh, domestic violence, criminal violence, and with the loss of jobs and things, there may be an increase in homelessness also. Um, and so I think there's a recognition of that. But I haven't heard about any real steps that are being taken to try and uh, pursue any public mental health initiatives to preempt it. Well, Dr. Ratzel, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think that's uh, an opportunity for us as as leaders uh, to think about the next steps regarding advocacy. Um, as Dr. Lieberman noted or hinted at, uh, you know, we come into the pandemic on decades of underfunding mental health in this country. And so it will be all the more critical for us as leaders, um, as institutions, as associations to make sure that we are advocating for the need for more uh, resources and, and supports. And as we are talking about patients, I, I do want uh, Jeff at some point to talk about um, the work they did at Columbia uh, regarding peer-to-peer -peer, uh, support uh, regarding colleagues, but, but clearly it's our physician colleagues, our, our other health professional colleagues, uh, but at the end of the day, it is also about our patients. Dr. Levin, you want to comment on that? 
You know, um, to when the pandemic hit, it hit New York. Washington was actually uh, Washington State was actually the first hit, but it didn't have the magnitude of the uh, uh, effects that New York did. Um, our first patient in the hospital was on March second, the first in New York, and uh, by the middle of March. We had 200 patients in the hospital. By middle of April, we had 2,000 patients in the hospital. So it was literally like having a battlefield casualties coming in. And um, apart from psychiatrists having to deal with this, you know, our patient populations in terms of suicidal people or psychotic individuals or drug overdoses and toxic, um, we also realized that there was a huge need to support our ICU, ED, medical step-down unit colleagues, nurses, technicians, respiratory therapists, and doctors. And we rolled out a very rapidly developed what we called COPE Columbia program, which held virtual town halls, individual forums by uh, work uh, uh, employee groups, and then a 24-7 hotline. And I think that this was a real lifesaver in terms of bolstering people and also maybe presenting, preventing some, some what might have been life-threatening uh, uh, outcomes. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox. That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox. Um, Dr. Ratzliff, you're a national expert on collaborative care. Can you talk about uh, what this is and how it might help in the treatment of mental health issues, particularly on the patient side over the next few months? Great. Yes. Uh, so collaborative care is an evidence-based model that really allows us to enhance the capacity to deliver effective mental health treatment in primary care settings. So um, this is a really important evidence-based model that has been around actually in the uh, evidence base has developed over the last 20 years, but there's been a real opportunity in the last few years with uh, new uh, funding models uh, through payment available um, to actually fund the model to actually disseminate it. So the basic model is that you take primary care, and that's actually a place where most people currently are getting the treatment for their common mental health disorders like anxiety and depression, um, even substance use disorders. A lot of times that's the first place that a patient will really present. And what we do um, in collaborative care is really take that relationship between that primary care provider and the patient uh, and give some support to it so that effective mental health care can be delivered. And that's um, usually the help of a behavioral health provider that can provide, uh, for example, evidence-based brief behavioral psychotherapies right there in primary care um, or and support from um, a psychiatric consultant. This is often a psychiatrist who um, actually doesn't see most of the patients. There aren't enough psychiatrists to see every patient that needs help, um, but they really leverage their expertise to support that primary care team um, and they leverage their expertise
expertise by providing assessment and recommendations indirectly. So a single psychiatrist um, in a couple hours of time a week can actually support, you know, up to 100 patients. So it really um, takes limited time of that psychiatrist and really helps them um, actually support uh, good care for a lot of patients. Uh, and so this is a really exciting model. Um, I think there was already a lot of momentum with some new payment options to support the delivery of care this way that was happening even before the pandemic. But now I feel like it's essential that we really look at alternative models like this um, to be thinking about how do we build capacity across the whole spectrum of behavioral health um, treatment opportunities. So building more capacity in primary care, um, you know, and that hopefully will be helpful to keep more capacity available in specialty mental health settings where um, people with more serious um, disease, uh, you know, and burden really need to be treated. So I think this is a really exciting opportunity. And I hope as we are looking for solutions to this coming, you know, mental health, really, um, pandemic that we imagine will happen, that we are actually thinking about um, strategies like this to actually create more capacity in our system. Well, uh, final topic, uh, Dr. Lieberman, uh, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the issue of stigma, uh, which is really, you know, can be really prevent people from seeking the mental health resources that they need, both, you know, patients and physicians. Can you talk a little bit more about stigma and why it's really important to address that right now during the pandemic? Well, stigma is something that has really afflicted um, mental illness and uh, psychiatric care historically. Um, you know, previously, because there was very limited scientific understanding or effective treatment for it, but uh, ever since the latter part of the 20th century, when the scientific foundation for psychiatric medicine was uh, developed and uh, uh, expanded in a very substantial way, and treatments were provided for that were very effective for the majority of, of disorders, um, uh, there's no excuse for people not availing themselves of care uh, when they need it. The problem is, is that the old attitudes and skepticism and, uh, you know, prejudices continue. And um, it's like, if, imagine you uh, didn't take advantage of the polio vaccine and you were susceptible to polio. Imagine if um, you have a lump in your breast and you uh, needed to have a lumpectomy and then uh, chemotherapy, but um, you uh, only got a lumpectomy and didn't know that there were other things available for you, um, or you didn't know how to access the care. Um, people don't know, As if you have chest pain, people immediately think heart attack or you know heartburn or something, if you have some kind of psychological difficulties, people begin to wonder and you don't know, do I see my clergyman? Do I go see a new age therapist? Do I engage in yoga? Uh, do I see a social worker or do I go to a psychiatrist? So stigma is really a barrier to care and a care that does exist. And um, the only way to try and overcome it is by uh, enhancing people's awareness and their access to care. And the fact of the matter is when you do the math on the epidemiology of not just being the worried well and having problems in living, but severe mental disorders, um, only a fraction of the people that have them are getting care. And that's something that really is costing the country and a great deal in terms of human suffering and also uh, economics. 
And so it makes good sense to try and address it. But the stigma that you're referring to, Todd, is not just stigma that the average person on the street has, it's the policymakers and the legislators that also suffer from it, which is why uh, psychiatric research and uh, healthcare, mental health care is underfunded. Dr. Harris, do you want to close by talking about resources that uh, the AMA has made available to help physicians with these efforts? I do, Todd. And, and first, I just want to say how excited I am really about all of the policy that AMA has regarding access to mental health care. Uh, just at our uh, recent policy meeting, uh, we even passed policy uh, advocating that we look at providing methadone uh, treatment in primary care. And so I really uh, want to highlight uh the importance of the work at AMA and our recent uh, behavioral health integration project. So, um, you know, we are here and ready to lead on ensuring improved access to care uh, for those who have mental disorders. And as far as addressing some acute issues right now regarding COVID, we have a wonderful uh, resource page. Uh, we've developed a couple of resources. Uh, I'll highlight a couple here, managing mental health during COVID and caring for our caregivers and so many other uh, resources on that resource page. So just wanted to highlight uh, those and we will continue at the AMA to partner uh, with other medical associations and institutions to do all that we can to reduce stigma and improve access to care. And through our continuing uh, work on physician wellness, we are working with organizations to monitor the impact of COVID-19 on their workforce. Uh, Dr. Harris, Dr. Lieberman, and Dr. Rasleff, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your perspectives. That's it for today's COVID-19 update. We'll be back soon with another segment. For updated resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us. Please take care. This content was originally published as part of AMA's COVID-19 daily video updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. You can also subscribe to other great AMA podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.